everyone. Welcome to the Pot on Point podcast, a show about sports, business, and the business of sports. My name is Mike McPhee. I'm checking in live from Denver, Colorado. And hello, everyone. This is Anand coming to you just one week away now, exiting from lockdown 2.0 in London, England. And howdy, this is Vladimir Bosanets. I'm suiting up from the first American city that won the Stanley Cup, Seattle, Washington. All right, gents. On today's show... In our openers, we're going to sort out an update on Leo Messi and his contract status. We're going to comment on a newly formed parents association and then briefly talk about the recent Clemson FSU non-game, the game that didn't happen. And then we're going to kick over to some top stories. We're going to cover the churn that's building due to the heavy club soccer schedule. We're going to kick off the basketball season as that gets started this week with college basketball. And then we're going to close with a discussion about NBA roster building. But before we get on to those top stories, gents, uh, Anand, Vlad, and I have a few perspectives to share, so stay tuned. The game is starting. All right, gents. So a little while ago, you guys were talking about Pocket Rocket himself, uh, Lionel Messi. The Pocket Rocket. <laughs> and, is that is that and, his uh, is that his official nickname? Uh, I haven't heard is, that one. I have to say it is it is for this week. <laughs> <laughs> there might be a little dig in there. I don't know. <laughs> well, he's he's not very big, but he, he's still got a lot of juice. He's running on fumes uh, in this last week. They sat him in the fumes. sat him in Champions League, didn't they? They sat him yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's uh, he needs he needs to be effectively managed. Well, you know what? That's actually a very good point you make, and we will be alluding to just that when we get onto a bigger story later. Okay. Uh, All right. Talking about uh, player welfare. So, yeah. Leo, by the numbers, you know, just uh, we need to keep reminding ourselves sometimes as to you know, what he represents and what he has represented. Most recent contract extension three years ago, November 2017 to the month, signing bonus of 100 million euros, an annual base salary of 70 million euros. Uh, His image rights from Barcelona, reportedly another 12 million euros a year. We're talking annual numbers here besides the signing bonus. So he's making over 100 million bucks a year. Wow. uh, clearly, you know, number one, high, most highest paid soccer player and endorsements in the world. Endorsements probably and stuff, right? Well, his endorsements, he's got Adidas, Gatorade, Huawei, MasterCard, big brands, big global brands. Yeah. Another 40 or so million euros wow. per, per year. That's insane. So, yes, he is, getting, uh, he is getting a little bench time now, but he's still commanding the biggest fees, still probably soccer's most marketable commodity, even though he's, he's mid-30s now, but... You know, still the big man, still the big man, as far as numbers are concerned. Right. Uh, when they drafted that contract back in 2017, they also included a 700 million <laughs> yeah. euro buyout clause. Yeah, that's it's just okay. Wow. Which basically it was two fingers to every other club out there. Says, you know what, just stay away because you ain't touching mm-hmm. him. He's our boy. Mm-hmm. Um, but what they haven't done is figured out his new contract because guess what? In in just over a month's time, not months time, that buyout clause is gone, evaporated, finito. January first, he's allowed to sign a pre-contract as a free agent with anyone he wants to. So speculation is rife again. He's going to hook it up with his old pal Pep Guardiola at Man City, and um, you know that's going to be the end of the the Barcelona Messi axis. Hmm. Can you guys see that happening? Do you think Messi will ever leave Barcelona? 
Well, I, 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 yes, I definitely see it happening because with just all the stories that are coming out, I don't know how you, you bounce back from that. And then I think they're probably saying it's time to move on and find another guy. What do you, what do you say, Vlad? Yeah, he's been, I think he's been on this thing for a while. I mean, trying to, I think we did a, you know, one of the updates we had that he's wanted to, you know, move as early as like 2016. Uh, if I remember, if I recall that, you know, correctly. So yeah, I think, I think all indications point to, to this outcome likely. Um, the interesting part is kind of like what, what Man City is proposing, right? Anand and the ownership there, um, is looking at like a really kind of long-term period, which is interesting given, given how old Messi is. Well, Man City is, as uh, you may, may not know, uh, is owned by the parent or holding company City Football Group yeah. and Man City have been quietly buying up multiple professional soccer mm-hmm. teams around the world you know in the US um, they've got New York City then they've got teams in China they've got teams in the Middle East Japan Australia so the rumor is they'll say to Leo okay come and play at Man City for a couple of years earn you know another 60 70 million euro a year uh, and then we'll take you to New York where you can hang out in Manhattan and, you know, live the New York life, uh, <laughs> eat, su- eat sushi at Momofuku. Um, and then, you know, if you want, uh, you know, shrimps on the barbie, well, you can go play at our team in Australia, <laughs> you know. So yeah. your winters are taken care of with some uh, great uh, warm sunshine in December, January when uh, Australia is playing. Yeah, it's it's an interesting evolution of sport in general where where the the ownership is becoming a international you know conglomerate essentially right and they're buying a brand or this is sort of similar to like you know Disney buying Star Wars essentially right and then incorporating it into its into its parks into its movies into its you know restaurants into everything that they have you know the the you know the plushy toys right and this is kind of what's happening on the sports side, right? Where where the where the team now essentially owns him as a as a as an asset, as a as a property, and they're going to maximize sort of their revenue throughout throughout the world. Um, I, this is an interesting kind of evolution, I think, for for sport in general. Well, remember we talked a, a show or two back about that that BBC that billionaire boys club. You know that that's got its own competition to it too. So now you're you're layering in, the billionaire boys club is now buying multiple clubs. There's a couple instances, aren't there, around the the globe? You've got the group that owns Liverpool is Red Sox, right? With Henry, we talked about that, right. and, and so they yeah, yeah Fen, Fen, Fenway yeah sports group. and they they they've got a few. they're doing baseball. They they've got a couple of different sports. Then you got you know Cronky Sports, which has you know. Arsenal, uh, NFL's Los Angeles Rams. You got the Nuggets and the Avalanche, and you know in Denver, um, and then yep. you know so these guys at City they're doing mostly soccer. It looks like uh, so a couple different versions that, that we know, yeah, of. that yeah. we know of. Yeah. So a couple different versions, That's right? Um, but but I got just kicking back over to Messi, um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about this with the NBA a little bit later. It, it makes you wonder. I don't question his thirst for the game, but it, what what does he have left to accomplish? Anon, you know, is he is he playing for checks and lifestyle at this point? Does does club soccer have a notion of of buddy ball that we'll talk about a little bit later, where you want to pair up with one of your guys or a couple of your guys? Like what what are what kind are what, what are some of the Pep, drivers right? here? I mean, right? Pep is like his boy, right? I mean, this is I, part I, of that, right? Well, because Pep has gone to a club that has you know wealthy owners with effectively unlimited money who have been purported not to play by the rules. You know, they're the 
they're the real Gordon geckos of European soccer right. if uh, if there ever were one. So yeah, people will will link them up because you know they you know he was Pep was Messi's coach in Barcelona a number of years ago. Messi he doesn't have anything to prove. Some people will argue Pele, some might say Maradona, and some might say Cristiano Ronaldo. But if you took a straw poll over three generations, someone in their twenties, someone in their forties, someone in their sixties, I would say the highest proportion of soccer fans would pick Messi as the greatest of all time. Wow. Maybe he That's could have a won a couple more Champions League. Uh, Champions League is tough to win, I suppose, and maybe he could have won a couple more. Uh, I think Ronaldo was in a in a better team at Madrid and was around to win a few more Champions League. Mm-hmm. But Messi has nothing to prove to anyone. He should uh, really have the right to do what he wants now. He's still scoring 30, 40 goals a season, so he's no... He's no, uh, you know, he's not just picking up a paycheck, right? Yeah, now, that's yeah. for sure. Isn't there one? We, we we may get an email from Ronaldo now that you say that on on because I'm sure he thinks he's better than <laughs> than Messi. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> I got a text already. I'll share Fair it with enough. you after the show. Is, isn't there one dent in his in his armor where he just at, at country they they haven't he hasn't gotten a title? Um, you know, with correct with Pele had correct. a couple. Yeah. Uh, Ronaldo yeah. has, doesn't have a title, but you got to so much more has to go in line there with with your with your mates and you know from your country, I guess. Um, and I want to yeah. say Messi played Cup for one, right? He lost easy. one of the finals. Well, he came out of re- retirement for the last World Cup to give it one more shot, mm-hmm. but you know the the team was built around him, but the team was poor. The Argentina team was very poor, so um, you know he he doesn't have much influence, I think in. In uh, in you know whether Argentina is going to win a World Cup. Fair enough. Maybe the one final point I'll make before we move on: the one criticism that could be labeled uh, to Messi in comparison to Ronaldo, for example, is that Ronaldo has done it at multiple teams at the very highest level. Right. He's gone to Manchester United, where he first kind of got his big break and you know won won major honors there. Right. Then he went to Real Madrid and won a huge number of titles there. Now he's at Juve. Okay, Juve is like the only team in Italy only worth one. talking about, mm-hmm. but but he you know he's he's had the guts to move on. Messi has kind of had that that comfort of being in you know two or three great Barcelona teams without having really to think about doing something different. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe so. Yep, that's all we have to say on that. Thanks, Anand. That's a good one, gents. I'm gonna I'm gonna kick us off with a. With a college basketball story, we're going to talk hoops and a couple different stories this week. But, but this one I found interesting and just announced maybe Tuesday of this week or or, or just even this morning. Um, it's going it's going to get a little more publicity. But but there's a movement afoot by some parents um, as college basketball gets started. And there's there's a group of parents that are forming. Wait 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 wait, Mike. Parents are getting involved into kids into kids uh, teams. Yeah, well, <laughs> novel it's, novel idea. It, 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 <laughs> this thing's a little bit interesting. There's not a lot of details, so we'll just we'll just preview it and maybe yeah. maybe as basketball uh, gets its legs through this season, we'll we'll get some more. But but there's a group uh, that have, have dubbed themselves the College Basketball Parents Association. And it is formed by a couple that has uh, a star basketball player. I want to say it's at uh, Arizona, and uh, and boy, they've had a lot of churn out there at Arizona. So so maybe they're they're seeing the churn and how it impacts yeah. their son and 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 the team around them. But effectively, this group has been formed as 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 a group that's that's pulling together 
all the different information that, that impacts, you know, what's a family's journey. So it it is for men's and women's college basketball. Um, but uh, you know, things that you look at as an outsider, maybe just, you think it impacts just those individual players, but in reality, you know, taking on a major college scholarship and playing major college sports becomes a whole family affair. You know, the whole family is involved in that with, sure. with, with, yeah. with the whole deal from your recruiting to your playing to, you know, then you, then you, you move on to, to your next ventures in life. But, but this association is formed to more or less build a, a, a new levels of awareness, you know, a support group. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot more transparency by these parents coming together. And, and, you know, you guys, you guys have seen these headlines. We, obviously all the stuff around COVID and should games be played or not. Um, you've got name, image, and likeness coming into the pipeline. We've got eligibility issues with, with folks getting extra years and, and then there's transfer portals and there's just a lot of churn that I'm, I'm sure the, the imperfections and, and the, and the inequalities of information just that these parents have, if you will, it, it's probably all over the map. And, and so I, you know, if, if you want to categorize things as, as maybe, you know, wins and, and, and losses, if you kind of look at this with a sports lens here, guys, I think this is a real win for, for these, these, these players and their parents to, to kind of band together. There's no notion of, of any early days in, in, in like power or, or thing they're trying to accomplish, but, but maybe that, maybe that plays out of that. But I think it's a, a group come together that's, that's looking out for their, their sons and daughters and, and when hopeful they'll do it in the right ways. Guys, you seen this story? Yeah. I mean, I haven't, I've, you know, I haven't really paid too much attention to it. I'm, you know, um, I'm, I'm going to be a little, con- little contrarian, Mike, on this one, just because sometimes I do feel that the interests of the kids who are, you know, at the top of the team are going to be different than the kids who are, you know, at the bottom of the team. Um, what, you know, to sort of put this group in one bucket and say, we represent this, and this is what we're going to be kind of fighting for, pushing for. Um, I, I, I don't know, you know, we'll, we'll see where it, where it comes out, uh, to be honest with you, adding another group, uh, to kind of try to influence what happens with these college sports is, um, you know, I'm I'm a little skeptical to be honest with you, and I wonder if this is going to be a um, replay of what we saw with the with the parents in the Big Ten, right? When the Big Ten football programs decided not to play because of COVID initially, and then the parents were all up in arms mm-hmm. because they wanted their kids to you know go pro essentially. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, some other parents may not be fully you know supportive of this, so to kind of you know, bunch everybody in one group. I'm not sure that's going to be good for, you know, the entire group. Yeah. Well, I, I, I see those sides. Anand, I'd love to hear your thoughts. I had a question to ask. Um, I think we had talked a little bit about, you know, the, the, the omnipotent power of the NCAA, you know, when it comes to college sports, you know, they, they hold all the strings. They, they have all the money. Uh, I wonder if, this, in a way, allows the the players to have a little bit of representation uh, and to have their interests managed and their welfare managed uh, to bring some balance to, you know, what seems to be a very sort of heavy, heavy weight towards decision making by one organization, yeah. you know, maybe by the colleges as well. 
if there's so much money involved in college sports in the U.S., you know, it's unique to the U.S., right? We yes. don't have this really anywhere in the world where, right. where you know, university students uh, are so valued, uh, you know, programs, sports programs are so valuable, right? You know, we don't have advertising in in college sports, you know, anywhere near the level that we do in the U.S. So do the players have a body um, that represents their interests in any way? And if they don't, maybe this is the this is the seed of that i you know yeah, the parents are starting be. it because it, no one else no no one else has taken that step yet yeah it's sort of a it's sort of like a you know backdoor kind of you know interest group right that sort of works on behalf of the athletes yeah i mean i can see that and if that's what it ends up being on and i think that's great if it expands what uh what uh, you know players rights are and gives them the ability to you know, monetize their name, image, likeness, things like that. I'm, I'm 100% behind that. Um, I, I just wonder, right? Kind of again, you're going to have uh, disparate interests for players who are at the top versus players who are in the middle versus players who are at the bottom, and yes. combining all of that into one, um, you know, could could be more challenging. But we'll we'll see. You know, who knows? You know. It all depends on the on the leadership, but this this is an interesting evolution of sort of where where things are heading. I hear you, and and you know I, th- I think where it represents for me is is don't want to be too blue sky. There's going to be different incentives, as you suggested. They're about they they rank around how's what where's the player? How good are they? What's their future uh, in this sport? But um, but um, but I'm optimistic, and I and I think. Anna, maybe you put the right word in there. This plants a seed in maybe a new direction, and we'll see where that goes, and and. Um, we'll see what types of things come out of it. So it, it just it just kicked off this week. We'll keep an eye on it as more details emerge. Um, but I found it interesting angle as there's so much movement in college sports and, and new information flowing and, and new risks to the player's health and, and all the above. So, Yeah. My item, if we could characterize it sort of in a win or loss column, would, would come into the loss column. <laughs> for uh for this one okay. so uh Clemson Florida State game was postponed last week and the backstory to this is that i guess there's a, there's an athlete on uh the Florida State team that exhibited some covid symptoms and he tested negative apparently but there's some back and forth whether you know he does have covid doesn't have covid didn't have covid or whatever i don't know where it settled the the point of this story is more about how COVID has now become a way to potentially manipulate the outcome of the season <laughs> because uh, um, uh, Florida State essentially uh, postponed the game or uh, you know canceled the game. So the day of the game, um, which sort of put the Clemson fo- folks all up in arms, but most importantly, it also put the, uh, the, the birds or the positioning or however you want to call it of the uh, of of the of the future bowl games, right? And and who plays in what what bowl? So so bowl placement became an issue, you know, depending on how you know the outcome of this of this game, and it and now we're sort of dealing with you know people are using COVID as a way to you know manipulate bowl placement, mm. and uh, you know Mike, this is your sport. You know what what's your perspective on this, and uh, you know how are we seeing this happen? You know elsewhere. Yeah, just quick take. You know the, what what are the details that have emerged? Is that the medical teams talked, and the medical teams uh, have the ultimate say in whether a ball game kicks off or not. And um, there's no tiebreaker. So uh, I guess if one medical team says a no-go, then the game doesn't play. So Clemson's team of medical team, Clemson's player had 
been diagnosed as a positive Friday into Saturday, and Florida State's medical team said no, it's a no go. So the game didn't happen. Um, so so that's th- those details emerged, and and we can argue all day whether that's the right thing or too late or whatever. But but I think it does spotlight um, all the shade that's been thrown through this week that Clemson players, Clemson's coach are throwing. They're throwing a lot of shade on Florida State, saying that you guys didn't want to play this week. And I think that's 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 the wrong way to go about it. You know, the incentives are different here for sure. Clemson's trying to get more wins under their under their belt to make their path towards that college football playoff and a strong bowl game if if they don't make that top four. Uh, and Florida State's having a lost season. But um, I, I throw this as a loss, throw a flag on on Clemson for their approach to this. And um, we may see this emerge again. And what it, what it spotlights is that the incentives change over a season too. You know, when, as you get later on, uh, our, our teams have different – one team's doing very well, one team's not. And if a game gets canceled – it, does it become a mess around the whys and and that's that's an unfortunate element here but um yeah and, shame and on i think them as, as as we talked you know if you elect not to do a bubble you know then you're going to now all of a sudden be able to you know manipulate the sport with different kind of things and i think this is one example you know again we're speculating that there was manipulation but it it certainly suited one group to not have the game perhaps right then 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 not right um, so anyway, and this is the one time in recent history that you actually have something that everyone is aware of and understands how you know how the outcomes can be disastrous, right? I mean, yes. people can die ultimately. So right. this is perhaps the first time ever you actually have something to use as an excuse, whether it's reasonable or not, whether it's truthful or not. Hey, COVID, COVID, you know, you call <laughs> you call your tech support to say, hey, listen, man, I've been waiting three days for someone to answer my email. Hey, COVID, you know, it's COVID. Right. So right. again, whether or not there's any re- reality, you know, to the number of people who may have been sick or not sick, uh, it's, it's, a, it's an easy excuse right now. And people have to at least listen to it. You just can't dismiss it outright. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's it. That's my point. All right, gents. I think we're all warmed up. Let's take this break and let's get into uh, the, the the top stories part of this week's show. And uh, to our listeners, we'll be back in just a second. Mike, Anand, and I really enjoy doing the Pot and Point podcast, and we hope that you like listening to us gab about our favorite subjects, sports and business. We hope that you also learn something from our experiences and that we bring to the forefront important news about the industries that in many ways shape our lives each day. If you like our podcast, please subscribe and tell your friends, family members, and colleagues about it. Write a review and let us know what you think about our work and how we can make it better. You can also suggest stories that we should be picking up. Our contact information is in the show notes. Thank you for your time and thank you for letting us know how we can be on point. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, I'm excited now to talk a little bit about um, uh, European football again, just by coincidence this time, not by design, really. Um, although it doesn't really only affect uh, soccer, or football, it affects uh, all sports, all major sports around the world. Um, and I'm really looking forward to hearing what Mike uh, and Vlad have to say about uh, these issues as they relate to sports in the U.S. So this week, um, Jurgen Klopp, uh, as some people know, you know, big hero of mine, not just because he's the manager of my my team Liverpool, but just uh, just as a human being, as someone I have so much so much respect for, so much time for. 
But he's come under a little bit of criticism uh, this week, a little bit of flack uh, for what he said after um, Liverpool beat Leicester City in, uh, on Sunday evening. Uh, after the 3-0 win over Leicester City, Klopp uh, had the mic under his nose, as he does, uh, post-match, post-match uh, views. Uh, and he was asked about all the changes his team has been forced to make, uh, both the starting eleven and the matchday squad, uh, because of injuries, and in the case of Mo Salah, uh, COVID. And again, he came out and said, listen, we are having an unpresent- unprecedented number of muscle injuries this season. And he emphasized, look, I want to say this again and again, I am not referring just to my team. This is happening throughout soccer in Europe, throughout the Premier League. You know, he talked about Gerard Piquet picking up a bad injury this yeah. weekend. A young English player, uh, Baka, uh, he played all three games in England's uh, international matches during International Week and then subsequently injured himself again, potentially with a bad knee uh, on the weekend. You know, he's saying, guys, we are playing matches too close to one another. We need to have at least more hours, if not more days in between matches so that the players can be assessed, they can rest, they can be treated, and they can recover properly. You know, his argument is, come on, if you want to see the best players on the pitch, you have to give us time in between matches. And and Anand, really quickly, is this as a a consequence of what's happening with COVID? They're trying to squeeze in the season? Uh, Yes. What is is sort of, what is the genesis of this? That is the reasoning. That's exactly the reasoning, because... Most European leagues started a month at least, maybe six weeks in some cases, after the uh, normal start date, which is usually around mid-August. You know, Premier League started in, in mid-September this time because we obviously had multiple weeks of lockdown in the UK and, and throughout Europe. Many sure, leagues, sure, sure. So they're know, compressing the season into a short amount of They're compressing the yeah. season. And we have a European championship, uh, which, of course, was postponed this year, potentially to be played in July 2021. We have a potential AFCON, African Cup of Nations, to be played in January stroke February, where all the African-based players, if they play for their international teams, are going to go off and yeah. play those matches. So we have a huge number of games being compressed into into a much shorter time space. So his argument is the players, the players need more rest. You know, He's saying, hey, Liverpool, we've now played on a Wednesday evening Champions League three times. And the Premier League's broadcasters have scheduled us as the very first match on the weekend, 12.30 p.m. uh, Saturday. Now, how do you expect my players to get any rest? It just doesn't make any sense. But, hey, as always, we're talking about money. The big counter-argument is, hey, Klopp, keep it in your pants. You guys signed up to these (laughs) multi-billion dollar contracts you know, and you guys are taking the money, so suck it you up. Know, you, can, you can't have it both ways. <laughs> Klopp says, "Hold on, you know, he really got angry when someone told him that." And the funny thing is, I don't know if you guys heard this, but the two British broadcasters at this point in the interview pulled it. They cut the interview because he said, "Listen, this." And when, if you actually read the transcript afterwards, well, I kind of found a rogue copy of this on YouTube. He said, "Listen, these contracts were signed years before COVID. Okay, years before COVID." Uh, so, or, or in the year before COVID, everything has changed. The world has changed. Everyone's lives have changed. Why is it that you guys are continuing to stick to this broadcasting schedule that really is very damaging to player welfare? 
players are getting injured all over the place. I'm sure this must be happening in the U.S. too. Well, I think what we're going to see is maybe this is the preview as to what's coming down our pike here domestically, Anand, and and that is let's reset with the lens on, say, the NBA. So their basketball season was deferred for four or five months. Then they played a, a sprint regular season finish and then a, a playoff that, that took about the same amount of time that ended in mid-October and they're going to kick off again in mid-December. So just like yeah. European soccer had a, had a, had a time shift and a short summer, a condensed close, short summer back at it again, then this next schedule is going to be condensed. So all those variables together are going to likely what you're previewing here is we're, we may be seeing those soft tissue injuries and, and fatigue driven injuries across all these players. And, and it comes down to they're trying to get in as many games. So Vlad and I have talked a little bit offline about what's the drivers with this NBA season. And the NBA, they're kicking off um, here in, in just about a month. And they'll have 60 days from end of finals to the start of the next year. And what that means, and, and the why is that they're doing it, is they're kicking off a couple of days before Christmas. And two major drivers there on on, and you're seeing this there in Europe. The two drivers are Christmas Day is the number one most watched day in NBA basketball. And then number two, they need to get to over 70 games in a schedule to kick in the major media contracts from all the regional 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 platforms across the states, which drives over a over a half a billion dollars in league wide revenue. You know, so I'm sure it's the exact same thing there in Europe is that Champions League drives media deals. Uh, Premier League games drive media deals. And um, and the ultimate, the resources, Vlad and I have used this lens on your resources, your capital uh, is going to be squeezed and put at risk. Vlad, what, what's your take? What are you seeing in this? Yeah, I think th- that's exactly right, Mike. The other, th- I, th- I think it's 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 big money that moved the NBA to start the season something like two weeks earlier, right? Like half a billion dollars worth of whether we start before at the end of New Year's or 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 in January. Uh, and I think probably here the one thing on on that 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 I think you you didn't mention here with with this story that. Um, uh, Jurgen Klopp is also arguing—not arguing—that's that, that's maybe a wrong wrong word—but advocating for more liberal substitutions, right, which are happening across Europe. So I think right now it's three in the British Premier League, but but it's five in Europe, right? Yeah, uh, no one can understand that. Everyone yeah, had five and so, at the and, end of last season. Yeah, and him being German, obviously, he knows what's what's you know happening throughout throughout the rest of the continent. Correct. So he's he's Correct. basically saying, hey guys, let's let's level with at least. You know the rest of the continent. Like l- let's let's at least move that lever, and then we'll we'll talk about other stuff. But we've also seen when we talked to uh, Brian Kopp of uh, Phoenix Sports, you know, a couple of weeks ago. You know, he talked about how he's he worked with uh, you know Seattle um, uh, Sounders. Sounders, yes. yeah. And he was saying, you know, he had a guy there that that could like you know predict. You know, he could tell based on their analytics who's going to get hurt because you know th- th- you know they were just ex- you know. They were exposing him more. They were playing him more, and 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 they could just sort of you know predict with with a lot of certainty when when something like that is going to happen. Liverpool obviously has a very strong analytics team, so I bet Jurgen also has some insights into some of uh, this you know data that that maybe maybe most most don't. 
Um, unfortunately, I think what is being driven here uh, is the league that is, you know, really uh, there for the money. And at some point, either I don't know if the you know players' association, if if that exists in uh, in the UK, you know, basically pushes for kind of a you know a a, a, a you know a better solution. Maybe that could be a way to sort of do do something. Um, and I'm curious if that if that even is a thing in uh, in you know UK soccer. Well, they do have um, a players' union, uh, but they're pretty toothless, and this isn't the type of issue they've really had to deal with before. Ultimately, I think the suits in the boardrooms will look at a few players being injured as collateral damage. Right. Because right now right. we are play the game. We are in a in, yeah, just play the game. We're in a situation where we just have to we have to meet the TV schedules because all the overseas TV channels have paid their money. The fans want to watch the games. Um, we have we have a limited time to play them, so we cannot have a a twenty five game season. We cannot have a thirty game season. We have to have a full thirty eight game season. So just play it and let's keep moving. That's just it. Yeah, money versus it's money talks at the end of the day. Money talks, but but also as as you know, you you guys all know, you know, biology does its thing, and at some point, you know, if there are more injuries and these guys can't play, I think. Zlatan is out for four weeks, if I'm not mistaken, right? He he just got injured. Yeah, that's right. You're going to start seeing these things happen, and maybe the suits will begin to reconsider, like, okay, this is going to just, you know, destroy our chances, right? If we, but who knows? I don't know. Um, may, maybe, unfortunately, something like that needs to happen before ultimately changes are made, you know, which is really kind of a sad thing. Well, maybe if two or three super mega names are out at the same time, you know, people pick, will sit up and take notice. Agreed. We'll see. I got yeah. two we'll words, see. two words in the, in under given to us by the great Greg Popovich, and that is load management. We need to have <laughs> load right. management globally. We do. We do. We do. I agree. Good point. That's what I've got today. All right, Anand. Appreciate that story. So we're coming back with our with our second top story. We're going to talk college hoops again one more time. This week is the kickoff. I think it starts the Wednesday here, Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. And let's just reset for this story, get a little level set. As everyone can recall, that the 2020 NCAA March Madness, the D1 tournament, was canceled this past spring and, and what that meant was you know major major impacts to revenue for all of college sports as they'll tap into in a second but but here we are in, in the opening time we usually have premier season opening tournaments and they've all changed shape in many ways in teams and locale and for instance the Maui Invitational has been relocated to Asheville North Carolina gents so go figure on that one I don't know <laughs> how real, they I found heard that, that site <laughs> Um, but they're going to okay. very nice. Gonna, they must have some palm trees. They there. must have something <laughs> like that. So, so instead of going to Maui, you're going to Asheville. Um, there's been some micro bubbles that have formed here to kick off the season. I really like what the university of Louisville has done. Gents, they've got a nine team. They're calling it the Wade Houston classic. Wade Houston was a pioneer and, and one of the first African-American players at the university of Louisville. Um, they're, they're going to bring in nine teams. They're going to have guys that are connected. They're going to stay in the hotel, connected to the Yum Center, a range of games. Most most will be played. It'll be five games in nine days. So maybe we'll have a load management thing there, but these guys are a, a touch younger. Five games in nine yeah. days, that's a pretty good chunk. Um, so, but, but credit to them for pulling together a group there. But it all is going to come down to, all the eyeballs are going to come down to, can you kick off 
and play the 2021 tournament? Can we play next year's March Madness? And that'll be the question mark driving this whole season. And and let's let's level set that money that's there. So uh, the NCAA overall, they lost out on 900 plus million dollars in revenue by canceling last year's tournament. And recall, guys, it was canceled in the week leading up, like just three to five days yeah. before it would have yeah. all kicked off. So, so they lost out on 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 nine hundred million. The networks in twenty eighteen garnered one point three billion, and 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 so that as a, as a marker, so they lost out on some number like that in this year's tournament. That was the ad revenue. That's all the ad revenue. That that number is okay. is distributed, so we don't know what that is in aggregate. Uh, you know, just only six okay. months ago, but a, a number probably like that. Um, and then right. we learned the way the NCA is organized is that money flows through to the member orgs and nearly 400 million did not flow through to all the teams, all the universities. Uh, so, so that's, that's just big, big money. Right. And so there's high incentives to get this tournament going this spring. And, and one of the things that's been already declared by the NCAA is they are bringing it all together like a huge just a big slurp sound. You can hear a big slurp sound. They've canceled all the sites across the country. Um, so when that tournament goes, it's going to be a one site tournament. Um, they're negotiating with Indianapolis that hasn't been landed yet. Um, but they're going to have a one site tournament as of right now. But guys, all the movement and things, who, who knows what that looks like. And one other wrinkle, and I want to hear your thoughts is we've heard some say, push it to April, push it to May. So you can get in more games. That's the setup, guys. We're 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 college basketball fans. Um, what are, what's what's on your mind as this thing kicks off uh, here this week? Well, I think what we've seen from the NBA is that you need to do a bubble to be successful. I mean, there there's no other way around it. Unfortunately, otherwise you're going to have postponement of games, cancellation of games. It's already happening. I think some of the conferences, if I'm not mistaken kicked off maybe last week uh, and uh, some you know non- non-conference games and I've already seen that some have been I think the Baylor game was maybe postponed if I'm not mistaken so uh, yeah I I think that putting this all in one city makes sense now I think some of the news earlier on was that they were going to put all 68 teams 64 teams right into the uh, into this kind of bubble, um, uh, you know. L- let's see if that's possible. That's a that's a lot of moving parts, a lot of hotel rooms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you know. Maybe what they do is they have the first rounds happen locally at the schools, and then the second, you know, the second rounds you're already halfway down, so it's you know thirty plus teams kind of deal. So maybe that's easier. Hmm. I'm I'm curious to see what what they do, but but I do hope that they. Uh, stick uh, stick with the bubble. I, you know, in terms of moving it to April and May, you know, I I don't know. I mean, it's 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 tough, um, but I think this is probably NCAA's way of trying to sort of sweeten the pot for the networks a little bit, right? Give them give themselves a little bit more of a longer season so that they could justify the you know the you know money. I think I think also um, what's likely going to happen is you know you you're not going to have audiences in in these arenas. Let's let's be honest with it, right? So maybe the NCA is sort of saying, hey, let's scrap the portion of the revenue that we get through the tickets, but we'll make it up through the networks and through the ad revenue. So. You know, let's do as much as we can. Let's make the season as long as possible and uh, see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, it's you, you don't want to have 
you know, two years of, you know, heavy hits to your revenues, one is bad enough, you know, two, uh, you know, could be potentially devastating for, you know, you take it down to, you know, to the, to, to the human level, you know, people's jobs, people's livelihoods, families, etc. Um, you know, so many, so many people are employed, you know, in, in college sports, right. you know, on the, on the back of all that revenue. Right? And, and, and on, on this may have, you may have not heard this news, but, but the NCAA actually furloughed everybody, all of their employees, right. um, sure. back, back some, you know, a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. So, so sure. there is a real impact, not, not just, you know, on that association, but as Mike said, you know, 400 million did not flow down, downhill which means there are others who probably had to deal with you know similar issues too yeah with the financial impact and i suppose if you were to drag it out or maybe uh have the tournament you know a few weeks later or a month or two later it also allows you know the the uh, the rate of infection to settle down we're talking about a vaccine now you know we're, we know how we know bet how to better manage um you know, the spread of the pandemic. We have a new government now in place who is going to do things very differently, you know, with a different attitude. You know, forget your political uh, leanings there. You know, Biden's in place and he's going to he's going to mandate different kinds of legislations. So if you allow that time to to gestate and allow allow things to to play out, let the viral load drop, we may be able to have a, a good tournament, maybe even a small number of fans in the stadiums, you know, a little bit later on. Yeah. March is, is pretty close by. April is pretty close by. Maybe that's not going to happen. Can I ask a question? When we play the first and second round games, they're not um, geographically uh, held to allow the teams who are geographically suited close to each other to play, right? Interesting I mean, question. An, an, an East Coast team could end up playing in, in the Pacific Northwest. Right? It depends on your seating. It depends on your seating. Right, so, right. So, so the, it's top down to the, seeds, the top seats play closer to home. Bottom yeah. seats could travel from Miami to yeah. Seattle. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure. Right. I just wonder if they say, hey, you know what? Maybe we will, we will have the first round games be between those teams that did qualify, but have them play close to each other because right. I know travel is a big issue right. when it comes to managing managing the virus. Right? Yeah, I think those those are certainly the variables and, and whatever they've declared now, I think it's still subject to right in pencil because that could change be, to that to that tournament comes to us. But I'm gonna I'm gonna put up a caution flag on one element here and let's bring in what happened this fall with with ratings for the sports that, that finished their season in the fall. So NHL, NBA uh, baseball is normally in the fall, but NHL and NBA, they, they had really down ratings as they closed out their seasons. And, and I think one major element to that is that the U.S. fan is not used to those seasons ending in, in the time period that ending in October, that's when you're kicking off the next round. And I would throw a caution flag against the NCAA here is that if this thing moves out to April or May, does the U.S. college basketball fans stick around? I mean, March Madness has its own thing in our culture. Um, you know, yep, the, the kickoff yep. of March, it's still cold in most of the northern part of the country. And by the time that tournament ends, it's kind of like, boom, where'd it go? It's good. It's better weather. It's April. And you close that out. Then you got the Masters a week later. Like, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a fan culture. There's a flow. This. There's right. a flow there's to a, that. There's a flow. Right. Right. And, and so you say. But it may be just one year. Ma- maybe. It may just be one maybe. year. Maybe. It right? It's a caution flag that maybe the, the media doesn't even 
doesn't enjoy the 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 viewer numbers they would they would hope for if it got pushed to May. I don't know. Let's let's watch. Listen, yeah, everyone, yeah, everyone's and my, got to take a hit somewhere or the other. There, there are definitely everyone's taking a hit. I think that's sort of the point, right? My 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 call to action here would be is use this as an opportunity to create something that's innovative, that's different, right? I think just sort of you know there we go compressing the schedule or kind of like you know moving a couple of levers here or there is not necessarily the best approach to be perfectly honest and I've I've seen this in other industries where you know people have kind of used you know covid as a as as a way to reinvent how they do do things right um and you know in in my other life we deal with you know commercial real estate and there are some companies out there that are you know looking at things like you know, hey, um, you know, now that I have to check everybody's temperatures when they come into the building, I'm going to create kind of a thing around this, right? So it becomes an experience. And and I think that, you know, this lends itself to some kind of creativity around how March Madness is, you know, executed. Okay. Um, they can market. So are you saying that's as, a good thing or not a good thing? Well, I think I think no. I'm saying I, I'm, I'm saying they call. can use the opportunity yeah. to create something new and innovative. Yeah. That's it. You know, call it call it spring madness. I mean, you know, just just do do something where you di- distract from this notion of of you're trying to earn revenue and squeeze the season and make it negative and you know oh you know how do we deal with this and how do we deal deal with that? But you, you, but really use it. As a as a way to kind of le- leverage some you know creativity into into bringing more attention and uh, more fun to the sport. Good one, Vlad. You, they will you will never get a C-suite position at the NCAA. No, no, no. Because you uh, if you're saying if you're saying hey, you know, we could just lay off on the revenue a little bit. That's all these people are talking about, man. Yeah. I I agree with you. It would be so much fun to see things done in a different way. Innovate. Um, but I think these guys only see one thing. Right? I- I unfortunately I think you're right. right. I think you're right, Anand. Yeah, the good one, Vlad. I like that little, little good call to action. Like well, we're gonna stay with basketball here um, a little bit. So, uh, big story. Also, the other big story in basketball is the NBA. And over the last, you know, ten days or so, we're we're filming the, this, you know, mid Thanksgiving week. But we had the NBA draft last week, and then we had the free agency. So I. Uh, think of the free agency as sort of the craziest trading show in the nation. I mean, it's been just an incredible sort of few days watching kind of who is going where. And um, the the point of all of that is not to sort of talk about what's going to happen um, and what team won, you know, which player got a better deal. I, I don't know. You know, all of these things are um, thrown up in the air. You're, you're mixing so many variables. Fluid, yeah. but, but it is interesting how... Um, big and impactful this free agency season was. I don't think I don't think it's usually this active. Something like over a hundred or close to a hundred players changed teams or uh, updated their contracts. Anyway, we'll see we'll see what kind of hap- happens there. I think the the biggest issue here is it's really hard to predict chemistry. At the end of the day, chemistry is what wins games and championships. And what happens coming out of this free agency is kind of like I I don't know you know it's all it's all really up uh, up in the up in the air at this point. The other part of the NBA story was the draft. So the draft actually plays a very um, very very strong 
and um, impactful role in the performance of the of the of the team. And there is actually uh, some science behind this. So there's a there's a there's a professor in um, Skidmore College in New York, uh, Michael Lopez. He's the assistant professor of um, statistics there, who's been studying you know the impact of drafts on the performance of you know teams and um, leagues and I thought this was a very interesting kind of kind of way of um, you know looking at sort of why why drafts are really important and for which uh, sports they are really important because it's it's not it's it's not the same everywhere um, so he looked at uh, the four major sports uh, in the US mm-hmm. NBA NHL NFL and Major League Baseball mm-hmm. yeah. uh, in a period of 15 years so from 1990 to 2005 mm-hmm. and um, basically he he you know looked at the performance of uh, you know the 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 top 60 players right okay. in, in 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 each draft for for those four sports and then you know use the number of variables in terms of you know performance of the team performance of the of the player to estimate the value of bringing in a fresh player and of those four the the biggest impact on on the league uh, was in the NBA which is not not surprising because as you guys mm-hmm. know only five people get to be on the court right. at a at right. a time, right? Um, yeah, you know, a little less obviously in some of the other sports, right? Um, but uh, he is looking at something like twenty times the value of a of a top rate rated pick compared to a lower rated rate, rated pick. So it's really important whom whom you pick at uh, at uh, at the beginning of the sort of of the of the of the draft. So um, the the other the other leagues, however, NHL and Major League Baseball, uh, not not as much. Something like you know five to seven times the value of a top-rated player to the bottom, and then in the NFL, surprisingly, it's kind of like a flat line. Meaning, who you pick in the front uh, doesn't impact as much as who you pick in the back. And I think part of that is also. Uh, the way that the game is played, you have an offensive team and a defensive team, right. and it's only right. one one player and one of those, right? So, so the impact that one person can can make on the on the game right right away is not 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 as big, except maybe with a quarterback, right? Right. Um, so, uh, gentlemen, thoughts on uh, free agency and you know draft? Uh, what what are what are you guys seeing? Yeah, a couple couple thoughts come to mind here. I I, I think. Yeah, the, the 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 type of game all gives us the signals as to how many players there are. But I think maybe there's another wrinkle to that is how hard it is to get, uh, how hard it is to get the top player pick correct. So maybe you'll find a guy lo- lower in the rounds that can still be a a, a stud for you. Um, so maybe there's, uh, it, it's just harder to diagnose um, who who makes it and who doesn't. Maybe is one other angle. But but then another angle emerges for me here is the incentives to tank. If those top picks in the NBA have a, right. a greater impact, your incentives to to tank your season are have been have been there for a while, and they try to normalize that with some of the things around the lottery balls as to how many you get there. But but I like this statistical representation that, that tells the story, and it tells us then in the NFL don't tank if 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 you're if you're gonna have a bad season, still keep fighting it out for 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 different reasons versus trying to get to that number one or number two pick. Can we see a pattern or clear evidence of as we get towards the back end of an NBA season, teams that you know are clearly not fighting for playoff spots, doing their best to try and race to the bottom? Oh, unquestionably. Well, that 
Yeah, yeah no question. That that's a that's a bit of a you know you know obviously they're not allowed to throw games right. Yeah, but it's a, you spike, it's a do, spiky subject, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, but, but you happens. do hear things. It's happening. Yeah, things like you know load management all of a sudden is becoming kind of thing, and you you'll you'll see them you know save their players right you know things like that. Uh, clearly, there's an economic incentive, uh, and that economic incentive could be not just for this year, but in future years where you can start, you know, trading, you have rights to certain years and spots and, you know, that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, yeah. I, you know, when, whenever there's an economic incentive, you're going to have behavior that maximizes that incentive, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that's, you know, my, my two cents mm -hmm. on, on, on that, you know, at this point we can just, you know, speculate, but, um, but, you know, clearly in this one study, it shows how valuable this, this is, right? Yeah, and it's interesting that this study came out, and I'm so glad you you know you you've shared this with us because now I'm thinking, okay, as we just touched on the point, why is it that in the NBA they have this 20x uh, valuation disparity? Well, you could almost say every position on the basketball court is a specialist position. They've even got, you know, they've even got sort of differing names. You got you have a small forward, you have a power forward, okay, mm -hmm. you have a center. I mean, a center is so different from a small guard, right? So um the the what that player's abilities are and specialist skills are are clearly identifiable mm -hmm. right on the basketball court um is there much difference between a left tackle and a right tackle uh you know on a, on a line in football i don't know i'm not a, i'm not an expert could could it could an offensive lineman also be a defensive lineman if if needs be is that correct or not well um not really, but I understand. Not I understand really. your point of, around that. Yeah. Those five basketball players have the uniqueness to yeah. them, and the value per yes. is is so much greater. There's no question about yeah. that. Well, and and in and in basketball, in in a reality, even though it's a team of you know twelve, right? Really, like eight are the ones who are playing ninety percent of the all of the minutes. Tighten that rotation in yes. in the playoffs, right? right? Yeah, and. <laughs> And so, and and you're not rotating an offensive team and, and, a, and a defensive right. team. You know, basically the same five play both offensive and minutes, yeah. you know right. defense, yeah. right? So, so again, the impact of one player, you know, could be one eighth, you know, or one ninth at most, or at least, right, on on that team. But then you give that you know star player more minutes, and then you can sort of see what the impact can can really, really, really be. From literally sure. just one player, right? So it's really important to sort of nail that one player yeah. um, if you have the opportunity to, you know, build a team around him, essentially, right? Um, but but what, what what was interesting for for me here too is that um, so part of part of the draft, you know, this this year there was there was a lot of stories around, you know, the Ball family over the last couple of years, right? And and their their dad has kind of brought this, you know, negative thing around basketball in general. His youngest son, my Lamella verbal Ball, eye roll, uh, verbal eye roll around the balls, right there. <laughs> that's oh right. My gosh. Yeah. So who he, are these guys? You'll have to you'll have to give me a little context. So 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 uh, so so there was a there was a UCLA player. Maybe not. Yeah. There's there's a UCLA player, uh, one of the three Ball brothers who went to LA Lakers. You know, a, a, a lot of a lot of kind of you know fanfare around him. But it became more about his dad. His dad was very vocal, and he was saying this sort of outrageous kind of 
interesting sort of weird stuff, I would say. And and he became a distraction, and all the teams were sort of like, you know, very turned off by by right. you know him gaining this attention. Ultimately, right. um, the Lakers en- ended up trading him to to the New Orleans Pelicans. So he's been kind of pushed away, but he also hasn't really performed really well. Uh, the okay. middle brother, who uh, also played at UCLA, if I'm not mistaken, Michael, right? Uh, they went to to China, and then he was caught shoplifting. So his career sort of sort of tanked after that. He was kicked out of the school effectively, and uh, basically, he I haven't seen him. But then the youngest the youngest of the three brothers, Lamelo Ball, um, took a different approach. And and this is this is this is one thing that I do want to highlight. So he ended up going to like Eastern Europe, either Lithuania, Lithuania. I yeah, think, Lithuania. And, and he and he played there for a year. Then he went to Australia, played in Australia for a year. He you know, try to finish high school, but he basically skipped this whole, you know, college game. He just like basically skipped the NCAA and did this sort of international kind of traveling player thing. And now, you know, he got picked number two actually by the by the Charlotte, three, uh, you know, three. you know, number Hornets. Three. Number three. Oh, number, number three. Sorry, Warriors. sorry. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, and so, um, and so, the interesting thing about that is, I think this is my call on this. You're going to see more players do something like that because they can go and probably develop a little bit faster. You know, play with sort of grown men and adults, right? In some of these right. other leagues, and I think we're going to see a little more things like this sort of unusual paths leading to the draft, not just directly from, from the NCAA. 100%. Yeah, so that's that's my one thing. I don't know if, if you guys agree. I would I would love to hear hear your your thoughts. Yeah, 100%. There's now there's a handful of guys that are doing things like what LaMelo Ball did. There was another guy drafted that, that did his post-grad year at IMG Academy, and that, that gets him out of the NCAA crosshairs where he doesn't have the hours right. and things. He can train full-time, get his schooling in uh, however he likes. Um, and, and I think we're going to see these non-traditional paths today become the way forward. And you just you just said something that um, um, really jogged my memory, Mike. But you know, I, IMG also is a sports agency, right? Yeah, that's right. Sure. Um, and so what's 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 going to happen is you're going to have these people going to the academy. The whole name, image, and likeness thing, right, is going to be kind of part of this 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 whole thing. Whether they push them into a college career, whether they push them into a pro career, or whether they push them into you know go play in Europe for a couple of years, right? Um, in soccer in Europe, Anand, this is already kind of a non-issue, right? I mean, young kids leave when they're in high school, right? They're, they join kind of teams, these you know younger. Uh, younger squads, effectively, right? And it's you know this they already start making money effectively when they're you know sixteen, seventeen years old. Uh, I think you have to be sixteen to sign your first professional contract. I think you you cannot be younger than sixteen to sign your pro contract. But obviously, kids get picked up from the age of seven and eight um, to go and train at the academies. Uh, they call that they call the they call them the academies of professional clubs. Uh, and, you know, I've actually personally been exposed to this because in my kid's school, we have an outlier class this year of these eight and nine year olds. A lot of them are very, very good <laughs> soccer players. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, they go play their, their, you know, their youth, their youth league matches on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. And Arsenal, Chelsea, Man United, Crystal Palace, well, maybe not, maybe not Man United, but the southern London based teams, all their scouts are there in the park, you know, trying really? to. For the eight to, and yeah, nine yeah, year yeah, olds. They, eight and nine, even, wow. even younger. So. 
there's a there's a boy who has signed uh whatever contract you can sign at the age of eight <laughs> right. to play for Watford. And he's he's one of my kids, uh, you know, eight-year-old classmates. Wow. You know, so they, they throw dirt at each other in the, in the schoolyard, but then he goes off after school and gets his, uh, his Watford kid on. Gosh. And, 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 and yeah, now, listen... It's 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 a very very ruthless sport. You know, you may you may be the the biggest fish in the pond until you're eight, nine, or ten, and then you just get cut. Next week, sorry, you're not yeah. good enough. Uh, but that that is that is one of the paths to to elite soccer. But you yeah. know, it's a very very narrow pyramid. It's very very small. Fair enough. Anyway, so that's my story on the drafts and uh, basketball. Very exciting, exciting couple of weeks over here. There you go. I just think it's fan- fantastic that we get to talk about and uh, experience such a you know a, a paradigm shift to how things have forced to transpire you know 2020 and 2021 i mean i think it's kind of cool that you know these things now are playing out we get to talk about them we get to see as vlad said earlier can leagues or and professional organizations be creative in the way in which they present the game to the fans so the fans get a good experience but manage their fiscal issues at the same time. Right, right. Creativity is going to win. I think it's going to be the winner here. So a number of interesting stories this week, all very timely, uh, cutting across... Uh, multiple sports, multiple continents, and a lot for a lot of us, a lot for us to think about. Vlad, Vlad, you told me you uh, you had a come on man that you were desperate to share with us. So now is your moment. Yeah, take it away, Vlad. <laughs> well, we started a show with Messi. Okay, we're gonna end the show with Messi here. <laughs> so <laughs> Messi and team lost uh, a game to Atletico. The other day, I think it was last week, maybe the week yep. before. Yeah. Yep. And yep, right. um, you know, it sounds like Messi's been just like totally un unresponsive this season. Uh, he's only scored one goal, if I'm not mistaken, right? And so uh, he's the captain of the team too, if I'm not mistaken. Probably right, right, mm-hmm. Anand. So what does Messi, the captain, and the rest of the team do after their loss to Atletico? They send in a 17 year old first year player to go and meet the press so <laughs> get out there rook <laughs> pedri get out there pedri is the Take poor the guy he's out there he's out there on his own 17 years old out there in front of the media answering questions about you know what the hell just happened <laughs> what is going on oh my and God. you know this 17 year old kid he's got he's got to deal with uh with these grown quote unquote <laughs> Grown men, right? Oh. And nobody, nobody wanted to come out and say anything. Wow. So that's some rookie hazing that's, right there. Woo! Uh, that's, I think that's, that's a come on, man. That for is, sure. Come on, man. Get get out there. Get out front. Well, good for him, right? Good for him. He uh, he took it on the chin. Yeah, exactly. It's part exactly. of his media training. Yeah, I think hope, hopefully this week he doesn't have to buy donuts for that for that Wednesday uh, that rookie run of donuts. Hopefully he gets exempted. <laughs> I think he's done his time for this week. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Good one, Vlad. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening. Uh, if you like the show, please subscribe. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Tell everybody you know around uh, Thanksgiving Zoom call, because we're not going to be sitting sitting with each other during Thanksgiving, at least in the U.S. Hit subscribe. Uh, send us a review. Send us some uh, ideas for future shows. And uh, thank you for listening. Appreciate it. Good game, it. guys. Good game, guys. Stay safe. We'll see Good you game. Next week. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.